What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to another inspiring episode of the I Choose series podcast. This episode originally aired January 2019, and we speak with John Spencer, who talks about anxiety and overcoming the challenges of life. Yeah, so I currently live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I've lived here for about, gosh, 17 years now. I moved here in 2001, uh, Christmas, the day after Christmas, 2001. uh, And I met my wife here a few months later. We got married the next year, 2003. And uh, I've been here ever since. Two kids later, here I am talking to you. Wow, man, that's awesome. Well, congratulations. I'm a dad too. I got awesome. three. Congrats. That's awesome. Yep. I've been to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, I believe. That's the, like, is that like the Amish country? They got Amish out here. Yep. Sure do. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's about all I know. <laughs> yeah. Yep. They, they, they love their horse and buggy on the side of the road. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Well, I think one of the things, the reason that I was very, very attracted to having you come on our show specifically was because if I'm not mistaken, um, some of your posts seem to be dealing with uh, anxiety and, and some stuff like that. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, that's uh, that one, that one day I had an anxiety attack and it just wasn't going away. And that was the one that you saw. I just got on Facebook live and I said, I want to turn the camera on anxiety. Because typically when we go through something like that, whether it's depression, anxiety, uh, we tend to internalize. And I know that from my experience, that is a very dangerous place to live. When you're internalizing and you're always turning inward, um, you're always feeling alone and always feeling uh, by yourself. And that's when you can kind of get attacked through that. And so I said, you know what? Uh, <laughs> I felt kind of uh, misleading because my wife and I went for a walk and everything was hunky dory to her. But when we got back home, I said, uh, you know, I'm going to do a Facebook live because she was going shopping and she's like, Oh, what are you going to talk about? I'm like anxiety. She said, what? Uh, I said, I'm having an anxiety attack right now. And I just feel led to go live and talk about it because I feel like too many people internalize Mm -hmm. and I just, I feel like somebody needs to hear that there is that that they need to to talk to somebody. Uh, and I just turned the camera on and I started talking about it and I bumbled and rambled my way through it. Um, but it led to us talking tonight. So who knows? Maybe it needs to be heard by more people. Yeah, man. So for everyone who's just tuning in right now, we're mm-hmm. speaking. This is episode 17. We're speaking with John Spencer from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Leave a comment. Let us know where you're watching from. Hit that like button. We're about to get into some stuff talking about anxiety. I think what was really, um, I think that this is an incredibly important topic to discuss. I think that anxiety, um, stress, I mean, I think that we live in a world right now where it's just people don't know how to friggin' relax. (laughs) I I really believe that, man. We just don't know how to relax. And so when I saw your, your live and you were talking about some of the anxiety, First of all, I have to commend you for the courage uh, of just being brave enough to kind of talk about the vulnerability of what it is that you were going through. I know that, you know, for myself uh, and for a lot of other people, sometimes it's um, it's easy to mask that stuff, you know. Sure. So you just being vulnerable and talking about it, 
Has anxiety been something that you've dealt with for a long time? Yes. Uh, I've, <laughs> I've had my fair share of anxiety. I've had my fair share of depression, uh, wading through all those things. And sometimes defining the, what the difference is between depression and anxiety is, it's kind of like trying to, you know, stick jello to the wall or nail jello to the wall, as I've heard it described. Mm. Um, yeah, I've, I've dealt with anxiety since um, probably the first time I can fully remember was when I was six years old. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that's been 31 years, you know, and I'm, maybe there was anxious thoughts before then, but um, pretty severely in my teen years. Um, yeah. And so I think the, the best way to set this up might be to, to say that I'm a creative uh, by nature. Uh, I don't know if you can see behind me, but there's a bunch of camera gear. Uh, oh, cool. That's right. I so, did see. I, since we've been following each other, I saw that you were doing a shoot. You were carrying yeah. that big Canon 70 to 300, it looked like. I couldn't <laughs> tell in the picture. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm a film uh, guy, too. So that's awesome. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen your film. That was uh, an incredible story. I love I love the, the true heart of, of what you're capturing. Uh, and just uh, to be honest, like, I, I really do find that there's a lot of power in our testimony you know, in the stories that we live and the stories that we breathe through and the stories that we can struggle and, and thrive through. Uh, sometimes I feel like a lot of people are just trying to get by to make it by. Um, and then there are those that want to kind of dig into uh, the narrative of what life has to offer and, yeah. and say, hey, there's more here. And, and I want to dive in a little bit deeper. Um, but, you know, uh, sometimes... <laughs> Anxiety is a part of that and you have to learn how to deal with it and navigate through it. Um, so I know uh, for me, like I've actually been a big guy my whole life. Uh, so I think my story would best be framed uh, from 11 years old. Um, I was kind of a bigger, stockier guy, came from a larger family, you know, um, dad was six two, whatever, six, two and a half, uh, you know, 250 pounds. Um, and through my high school year, I was always the, one of the tallest kids, uh, for sure. And like, like, gosh, like fifth grade, you know, just towering over everybody. Um, everybody said you were going to be a basketball player. Um, uh, I don't really have any desire to play sports <laughs> like that. So it was not really an attraction. And then I, when I was a big guy, it was like, you're going to play football, you know? Um, but a lot of my anxiety and, um, maybe even self-worth. Uh, came from the labels that people that people gave me you know like oh you're good at this so you should be that or you're you're good at this so you should do that um and you know it always kind of just went against who I felt like I was and, and um I would identify with what they were talking about and who I should be um and it just didn't feel right you know it didn't feel like that was the journey I was was supposed to go on uh, like I said, I'm a creative. So um, one of the first memories I have was learning, uh, teaching myself how to write. Um, I was like four years old. I was watching Scooby-Doo, laying on the floor, just drawing letters so that I didn't know how to spell. And I would take the paper to my mom and say, mom, what does this say? And she would, you know, say, oh, it doesn't say anything. You got something close here. So the day I wrote my name for the first time, the first word I ever spelled, J-O-H-N, she was like, oh, you spelled your name. And then I was looking at this paper, realizing I can create something from nothing almost, mm. you know, and then there can be a reaction to that. And so then I fell in love with writing and stories and, 
and then grew into loving the arts and wanting to be an artist and wanting to draw cartoons and wanting to be a filmmaker and being the next Spielberg and so on and so forth. You can see the evolution of this. <laughs> um, but then I, I, fell in love, I fell in love with writing uh, specifically because uh, writing is free. <laughs> uh, as you might know, filmmaking takes a lot of time uh, and a lot of resources, specifically yeah. finances. And sometimes that's not the best, that's not the easiest way to go about it. But writing is free and I spent lots of years in this room just hammering away at stories and so forth. And that really led me to uh, investigate more um, uh, as far as writers and so forth and trying to model myself after somebody else, you know, comparing myself or living uh, vicariously through other authors. Uh, and, and I came across Donald Miller. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of him before, mm. uh, but he, I read this book that literally changed my life. Uh, it's called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And it's uh, so he wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz. You might have heard about it. Um, and they, they made that move that book into a movie. And this book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, chronicles the journey that it took for them to make uh, his memoir into a film. Uh, and it was, you know, obviously the story had changed. But the subtitle to the book is What I Learned by Editing My Life. And he talks about storytelling and his quest to learn how stories are told. Um, and it really kind of allowed me to embark on this journey as well to like learning like what makes a good story and wait, we can actually live a good story. What make what the elements that go into a great movie go into a great life. You know, you have a protagonist who wants something and they have to overcome great conflict in order to get it. That is the essence of all story. Uh, and so I love that we can apply those same principles to our lives. Um, yeah, I got to say, man, I'm sitting here listening to you. And um, so I'm a writer first. That was my first love, writer-director. And so uh, when, when you know, this whole I Choose thing came about, I mean, the tagline was, you are the lead in your life story, because yeah. that's what it is. The greatest films that we love are about characters the lead characters overcoming the challenges and the difficulties and facing against other characters, um, making the choice to overcome and, and achieve or become what it is that they're supposed to be, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm right on, I mean, we're right in the same, we're on the same page of the same book. Yeah. And it really took that awakening for me to uh, really just say, what, else, what can I get out of life? You know, like you yeah. get one of these. You know, this yeah. is this is um, a limited edition. Yeah, <laughs> your life is a limited edition. So yeah. uh, why don't we tell the best story we can? You mm -hmm. know, and uh, I'm a man of faith. Uh, so like, I, I love uh, how the Bible has so many incredible stories weaved into it. Um, and there are two uh, stories specifically two, um, uh, two stories, one in the beginning and one at the end, actually. Um, the story of Joseph at the very end of Joseph's story at the end of Genesis um, after Jacob dies, I believe the, the brothers get scared again after they've sold him into slavery and he was raised up in Egypt and became uh, second uh, in command in Egypt. And his brothers were scared after their father died that he was going to return the evil that they had done to him since his father was gone. And he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And uh, mm -hmm. I just love what, what our story, uh, what our story could be for someone else, uh, you know, and that 
Um, I've been a firm believer of this for years now, especially after going through uh, reading that book and so forth, that um, when we're possessors of knowledge, we're inclined to give that away. Yeah. And I think that when what happens is when people, I don't want to say learn the tricks to life, because I don't think there really are any tricks to life. But like when we learn how to navigate something, um, sometimes we tend to just hold on to it and be like, this is mine. You know, uh, when in all honesty, uh, just being vulnerable and opening up is the greatest gift you could give somebody. Yeah. You know, I have to say, I mean, I agree with you a thousand percent. You know, I'm looking at some of the comments here. We have Angie who says, uh, anxiety has kept me from doing a lot the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I think that we're we're on the same page of the same book, man. And I have to say that it's only recently. I was thinking about it tonight when I was putting my son to sleep, and I was like, man, I was like, when when did this like awakening come? You know, hmm. and I really feel that it's only been it's only been like the last year where I've really started to ask myself the question of like, what makes me happy? Like what truly makes me happy, you know? Um, and, and I'm a creative too. And if you're a creative and you're listening, please leave a comment. Let us know what you do and if you're feeling this or not. But like as a creative, like it makes me happy when people see like my work. Hmm. But there's another side of that too, which is yeah. <laughs> it's never quite good enough. <laughs> right. Um, right. So it doesn't matter. It's some, sometimes it doesn't matter what people think. It's just not good enough for me, you know? But I think that in the last year, the, the biggest uh, the biggest revelation that I've come to is that it is not anyone else's responsibility or job to make me happy. You know, where my happiness comes from does not depend on other people, because if it does, then I'm guaranteed failure because people are broken and everyone is going through some kind of shit. Mm hmm. You know, and so that took a long time. I mean, look, I'm married too. I've I've got kids and stuff, and it's like, man, it's like, you know, is it my wife's job to make me happy? The mm. answer to that is no. Yeah. Despite what we've seen in the movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> and well, the fairy that's actually, tales. <laughs> that's actually a really interesting point. Um, so we, um, I think my wife is okay with me sharing this story. Uh, it's about anxiety. Uh, and she's definitely struggled with it herself. I was making a list the other night of all the anxiety that I could remember our family dealing with in the last two years. And before, wait, can you hold this thought? Can you sure. just define anxiety? Can you define it? Oh gosh. <laughs> um, for me, uh, the anxiety is when, uh, it's essentially like emotional concrete that your feet are just stuck in. Uh, and for me, it's that dark cloud, that feeling of just being, um, and I feel like it's a moving target too, you know, cause uh, I think it can be different for everybody, but anxiety for me is when I'm just feeling overwhelmed and stuck in my own head and starting to listen to and believe things that aren't real, you know, things that like the voices in our heads, the voices that, yeah, the lies that, that we believe, you know, the narrative that we're, that our story doesn't matter, you know, yeah. the narrative that, that says you're not good enough. Uh, why are you going to go on this Facebook live tonight? Because no one cares about you and yeah. you're not good enough. And, and who are you to even say that you have any authority in anything, you know, it's, it's the same as a creative, you know, whenever you're, 
sending that email with that script in there that's going to those producers and you're like, I have poured five years of my life into this. Um, best of luck. I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, so yeah, I, I don't know that I can truly define what anxiety is because I think it's really hard to pinpoint it. Uh, but but I think me, you said emotional, like your emotional concrete, like your feet are in emotional concrete. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that's a really interesting way to look at it. I don't think I've looked at it like that. That's interesting. Yeah, and it, it holds you back from from enjoying certain things. Uh, mm-hmm. So um, when I, oh gosh, uh, we're going way back now. Um, but when my wife and I were just first married, uh, well, I guess, no, it was a little while after. Uh, we went to Hershey Park, which is a amusement park nearby uh, in uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania. And um, I got uh, I got on this ride uh, to go on this roller coaster, one of my favorite roller coasters. And the guy can't close the lap bar because uh, I'm too big to fit into the seat. Mm. And I have to get off the ride in front of all these people. And it was like that. It was, it's like, anxiety is like that. It's, it's restricting you from enjoying life. It's restricting you from enjoying the things that you want to do. And then it keeps beating you down until you're like, why bother doing anything? Like, I'm just going to be an observer in life instead of an active participant. Uh, and, you know, in the form of storytelling, you know, you have your protagonist is either passive or active. There's really no in between. Either they're watching things happen to them or they're actively engaging and making something happen. Uh, and when you're the, the lead in your own life story, like you have to be active and you have to be pursuing something. Uh, otherwise, you're passive and life is happening to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. You know, I, I want to ask, too, where do did, where did those voices come from? Hmm. a really good question um i can't speak to everybody's story or anyone else's narrative but for myself the doubt comes when you start to make the announcement that you're you're doing something when you announce like hey i'm gonna whatever, I'm going to write a movie, I'm going to film a movie, the, the resistance is real. I don't know if you've ever read the book, uh, The War of Art. Um, uh, I believe no. that's Stephen, Stephen Pressfield. Um, the, the book is, I believe it's divided up into two chapters. And the first, the first part of the book is called The Resistance. And man, I'll tell you, the resistance is real. When you have anything that you're actively pursuing, the resistance shows itself. You know, because yeah. it's testing you. It's like, are you serious about this? Are you really going to get up every morning at five and go to the gym? Are you really going to eat that many calories a day? Are you really going to pursue what you say you're passionate about? It's going to test you, you know, and it's always going to, it's always going to make you focus in and say, you're going to dig your heels in. Uh, I don't know if you can see this, but I have a sign in my office that reminds me constantly to do hard things. Uh, yeah, I love that, man. I've seen you. I've seen you wearing that T-shirt a couple times. Yeah, you know, I love it, man. Do hard things. I think it's. I think it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, that always reminds me that anything's possible. So, uh, I don't know if you followed my my health journey over the last year, um, but uh, um, in 
December of 2017, uh, I weighed over 400 pounds. Whoa. Um, so I have, and I carried that weight for about 15 years. Um, wow. On and off, I lost like 20, 30 pounds here, gained it back, and then some. Um, and I was really living in the in the and then some phase of life where I was being very passive in life and just life was happening to me. I was living in excuses, obviously anxiety. Um, you know, those things are, are very, those voices are very loud when you don't feel like somebody that's valuable. You know, you, you have this own narrative that you're, you're telling yourself about your own life and, um, true or not, you know, it's still a very loud voice in, in your head that's saying, this is who you are and this is what you are. Um, yeah. So my... But that has my... to come from somewhere, John. It has to come from somewhere. Like, I, I, otherwise, I would have to believe that we as human beings are, from the womb, self-destructive. Hmm. And I can't believe that. I cannot believe, like, I'm a faith guy, too. So I believe, you know, hey, if we're created in the image and likeness of God, yeah. you know, I think there's a couple of things I just wanted to mention here because you're talking about, like, the voice. We're talking about the voices, voices mm -hmm. in our head, the voices we speak to ourselves, meeting resistance. You know, when we talk about faith and stuff, um, and they talk about God, and, and, and they talk about the word. Yeah. Right? Um it was as if it was as if the the world and all we know was spoken into existence. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's very beautiful, and I think it's very powerful. And then on sure. top of that, we have you know as we move on, we have the word was made flesh. Sure, you know, and I think that these words and the power of these words, like I believe that we all have a voice inside of us, but I can't. I don't know if I can believe that we're born in the image of likeness of God, and then we're telling ourselves that we suck. <laughs> you know yeah. like i think that like that those voices have to be put in there somewhere early on in the early developmental stages whether we remember it or not either it's environmental um external or or, or internal or nuclear family whether it's coming from family or coming from school or whatnot sure. somewhere in there there is something that happens where the program um kind of gets hacked and yeah. once that program is hacked, um, it needs to be like, you know, hacked again to get out of that. Mm -hmm. And it's usually something traumatic or some suffering or a terrible experience or life threatening. Uh, most of the time that gets us out of that hack. Yeah. You know, but I think yeah. that I, I don't know. I just I'm asking these questions because I really do want to know, like, I, I don't I can't say that I suffer from you know, anxiety and depression, but I know many people that do that talk about it and people very close to me talk about, you know, having anxiety. And I, and I think that it's very, it's just something that's important. Like I want to, I want to know the origins, I guess, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm actually really comfortable of talking about my origin because I've lived through it. I've survived it and I, um, I've moved on. Uh, it may be a little uncomfortable for some people, um, but I was sexually abused at six years old uh, by an 11 year old girl and uh, her name was Summer. And uh, I um, just became aware, gosh, about six years ago that I was a victim of mm -hmm. sexual abuse. And Jeez. she, uh, you know, 
I, I had no idea what was going on. I, like that's, I'm five years old, six years old. You know, I don't know what's happening. Um, and then that's, and like I said, I, I told you, I remember very vividly when I was that age that I started suffering with anxiety because I started to question and doubt all these things mm -hmm. that I had known to be truth. Now, those things were questioned, uh, brought into question. And my, uh, my world kind of started to get really small. You know, when you're a kid, you feel like your world's gigantic. It's your imagination is huge. Anything can happen, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, who can I trust? Like, I thought this was a friend. I thought this was like, what is this, you know? And, uh, and it was only until I was 31 years old. <laughs> uh, and I didn't realize this because I had played this narrative in my head uh, where I had forgiven, uh, where I had tried to talk about this with other people. Um, and I was actually doing an interview for a, uh, with a group of parents who had children who were sexually abused by the school, by a school staff member, uh, by a teacher or something like that. This, there's an actual uh, local chapter that they were, wanted to do a video series about this. And so I was doing some investigating and they were, they were friends of mine. Uh, so I knew them from work and so forth. And um, I was, I shared with them, I was like, you know, like when I was six, like this happened to me and they were like, really? Like, uh, you know, have you ever gone to counseling for that? And I was just like, what are you talking about? Um, like I'd always carried around this idea that it was my fault that I did something wrong. Uh, you know, and and even in the moment when it happened, I remember riding home being like so terrified that I was going to get in trouble for this. Was it one that time that happened or was it over yes. the course of? No, it was, it was one, one time. time. It was one time. Um, mm. And I know that there and are a she lot was of, 11. She was 11. Yeah, uh, she uh, was about. That's that's kind of young, too, though. I mean, sure. Yeah. So uh, when I was, you know, in my early 30s, uh, and it was kind of revealed to me that I was that this had happened and it was real and, and I had all this guilt. And I remember thinking, uh, sorry to back up, but I remember thinking when I was younger, when I got like to be 12, I started to enter into a really dark season of depression. For the, it felt like it lasted for years. It probably lasted for like two or three months. Um, but I remember thinking, I want to be a big guy so I can protect myself so nobody can hurt me again. Mm. Um, almost saying, I want to put up walls and never feel anything again. That's really what it felt like. Um, yeah. Food became my comfort, you know, and my prison. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, in my 30s, when I first started to really dive into this and seek counseling for it, um, I realized that this girl most likely was a victim herself yeah i'd have to say so too man 11 years old like yeah that's pretty uh that's 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 very young yeah yeah and and then uh, replaying all the memories uh with her you know leading up to that day and just knowing that the the group of people that were around our neighborhood and so forth um I, and not to write a story that doesn't exist, but I was like, I wonder, you know, like, was this a consistent thing for her? Was this a part of her life? Like, is this, had this happened to her multiple times? And so um, I was really moved um, into forgiving her, you know, and, and moving beyond 
that act instead of letting it define who I was and leave me stuck where I was. I wanted yeah. to move past it. And, and anger is not going to solve the problem. You know, loving other people is going to solve that problem. You know, like I said, when you're a possessor of knowledge, you're inclined to give that away. And dude, love is love and forgiveness is one of the most powerful it is it are the most powerful tools we have in our toolkit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm working uh, with a non-for-profit organization right now, creating um, some video material for them. And their ministry is helping people heal who have been emotionally abused, sexually abused, physically abused. Sure. And it is what, what I've learned is that, you know, there, there are some people um, where when they become, when this happens to them, this is how they identify hmm. and they're unable to get, they just, haven't gotten past that yet this is how they identify and that's that so for me listening to your story now talking about how you've kind of this happened you acknowledge that it happened and you're and you've moved on from that i think it's very very valuable for people who are suffering for things look things happen to us and they're not our fault sure good and bad <laughs> they're not our fault um and the reality is is that like we cannot allow these things to become who we are. Right, right, right. That's basically giving over the pen and saying, this is gonna write my narrative for me. Yeah, this is gonna define me and this is gonna be who I am. I'm gonna be a victim for the next 50 years of my life if I'm so lucky. That, that is a terrifying reality that I was, I, I saw where that was taking me. My health was in great decline, you know, uh, just constantly, um, I, w I was constantly um, indulging, you know, in, in, in the comforts and, and in the, and just trying to be comfortable, you know, whether that was with food, whether that was with just Netflix and chill, whether, whatever that was, I never had a, an addiction to drugs or alcohol or anything like that. Um, but man, like my vices were still just as real you know, and, and as a creative, um, I, I'm a very empathetic person. So uh, when I write, when I'm diving into a project where I'm writing something, you know, I am living that person's life. Like I am just invested into that mentality and it's really hard for me to, to let go and to get out of that. So I, I totally, um, I totally have to, sometimes I have to put the brakes on and say, this project can't move forward because I cannot live in that headspace right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I want to read some of the comments here because we've got people that are just saying um, negative self-talk and thoughts are the root of anxiety and depression. Anxiety has produced panic attacks that have actually kept me from walking into a store. I think the voice comes from a deep rooted depression and same as John, weight issues contribute to those feelings. Kate's here. How you doing, Kate? Joe's here. How you doing? We've got um, Christina says you're not alone. Um and it's so hard to forgive and move forward coming from Angie. I think that, um, do you think that forgiveness plays a role in the, in the suffering that you face? Like you've, you've had to forgive to get past it. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I believe there is a season. Uh, I think there's a season of stillness where you can, and I think forgiveness is a tricky thing because saying you forgive somebody and then living in that forgiveness is, is really difficult. Um, 
I think when I first said the words, um, it actually made me more angry. Um, Because if I would have seen that person, I don't know that I would have been as comfortable as I feel now, you know, praying for them, you know, wishing them well, hoping that they have found healing. Because there's still some, there's still, there's a, it's a scar, you know, that that's a, depending on what that is, that can be a deep scar. Um, yeah. Yeah. Some, you know, the, the, the project I'm working on now is directly, like I said, working with people who've suffered from abuse, giving a voice to survivors of abuse. And um, one of the things that was shared with me was this idea of maintenance, you know, mm-hmm. that this idea of when someone who has faced abuse and has been abused or has suffered from some kind of external abuse, um, many people's ideas are, well, well, that just happened to you so many years ago. Can't you just get over it? Mm-hmm. Why can't you just get over this? And I would have to say, if I, if I say honestly, that's probably where my mentality would be as well. Um, but what I learned from this experience was that they said that this was more of, you know, the project that I'm, that I'm working on with them is, is talking about main, maintenance, this idea of therapy, working through it, but understanding that, like, that scar is always going to be there. Sure. And so yeah. it needs to be tended to. It needs to be cleaned. It needs to be taken <laughs> care of. And as we go through our life, there are other things that come up that can trigger some of these um, ideas or thoughts or feelings uh, and send us into a, a very negative space again. Absolutely. Um, so, so for people out there who are suffering with anxiety and depression – what is what are some of the tools that you could you could share? I think uh, it's it's tricky because you have to be willing to be vulnerable at a certain point. Um, yeah, and that's not, the key, uh, isn't it? It really is um, because I mean, just like you know, the your first uh, you know the first video that you saw me do live uh, saying that hey I'm going live on on anxiety here being very vulnerable in the moment um, you know I would never ask anybody to be brave beyond how they felt comfortable uh, you know me sharing my story tonight is not to say hey I'm at this amazing place that I can speak about this stuff because it doesn't affect me it still affects me you know, yeah. um, I lived uh, as a class clown for over a decade, masking what had happened, the hurt, and the pain, you know, and bigger guys like me were always, you know, chuckling and making jokes and always trying to, to, to be the, the funny guy so that you would never, ever think something was wrong. Um, yeah. So I think you have to finally pull down that, that facade and say, um, you need to surround yourself with someone you're comfortable being vulnerable with. Um, back in 2013, uh, really close friends of mine and I, we formed a little group that we literally created a safe place, uh, you know, for men of accountability, um, to, to encourage one another, to share our struggles, to share our wounds and to, to seek support and, you know, surrounding yourself with people, even though they couldn't identify 100% with my struggle or with my story, you know, I couldn't necessarily identify with theirs 100% either, but we were there together in, in, in our suffering, you know, and encouraging one another and reading scripture and, 
you know, listening to Brennan Manning talk about um, God loves you just as you are and not as you're supposed to be because you're never going to be how you're supposed to be, you know, and that was a powerful message for me to hear where it was like, oh, like I don't have to reach this certain level to be accepted or to be loved or to be this whatever ideal version of myself that I think I need to be. Um, <laughs> you know, I always used to say this, like God loves me naked and in the shower, the same as he does dressed up on a Sunday morning. You yeah. know, it, it, there's no difference to him. He is totally colorblind. He's seeing through all the facades, where the, all the walls we're building up anyway. Yeah. Um, but you need to find somebody that you can be real with. And specifically, you need to learn how to be real with yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, you talk about God, you talk about these kinds of things. I have to say that for for me, you know, Christianity is, is, is the only religion where God comes down to man. Sure. Every yeah. other religion is trying to get to God. Mm-hmm. Never can get there. You could never be perfect. You know, Christianity is the only religion that, that avails itself to God coming down to man and, and being that bridge, you know? Um, and to me, that makes perfect sense. And not because, even as I just, said, we're broken. <laughs> and, and not only just coming down and meeting us, but then reaching a handout and taking the dirty, filthy hand of man and pulling him up. You yeah. know, um, there's a huge, there's a, a massive illustration of, of, of that when, you know, Peter is walking on water and he's sinking and Jesus you know, reaches in and rescues him, you know, and as he's drowning, you know, and Jesus got his hands dirty, you know, like, that's the coolest part. It's like, yeah, I love people I can relate to, you know, like, yeah, I feel like Instagram and Facebook and and how you can prettify life, you know, and, and make it glossy and clean and sleek. Dude, underneath all of all of this is filthy rags, you know, like, it's so it's so tough to be honest if you're not willing to admit, Hey, you know, like this is life. Life is messy. Life is dirty. And and it's never going to be squeaky clean. And I feel like when you can put down the phone, when you can put down that social media and that ideal of what that life looks like and say, you know what, I need to be brutally honest with myself. And this is what being raw, being real and being honest is all about. You know, I think there's great victory in just truly yeah. just saying, where am I? You know, if if you believe that yeah. your bank account has $100,000 in it and you're spending like you have $100,000, but when you go to withdraw money from the ATM and you see a negative balance and, you know, like it's going to tell you exactly what you've been spending. Like you have to be real with yourself. You have to do that check-in and you have to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, man, I think that's so super valuable. I mean, everything that you're saying here, I just want to get in here. Um, Christina says, I love that you're so strong. You need that strength. I have a question for myself. Does it get easier to talk about? I'm a very open person, but some things seem to be hard for me to get out. What do you think? Does it get easier to talk about? I think it does. Um, I, I don't think it gets easier to deal with, um, maybe to an extent, but I would say it does get easier. Um, over the past six years uh, of my life, this, uh, you know, dealing with what happened to me when I was six years old, you know, being abused by this girl, uh, you know, is 
it was such a mountain, such a weight that was on my shoulders for so many years. And the moment that I, that I brought it up, it really lost a lot of power. It lost a lot of stronghold over me, yeah. um, but it didn't completely go away. You know, I would throw the shackles back on and drag that ball and chain around even longer. Um, but slowly over time, you know, you carry the scars around with you. Um, but I believe over time it does get easier um, because again, you're a possessor of that knowledge. You're a possessor of, of what, what you've lived through. Your story has power. And when you can then impart that wisdom, uh, your story has power to it. And when you can impart that on other people, it's then going to help them. It's going to help break chains there, you know? And so as you're, yeah, as we're keeping these stories to ourselves, we're actually cheating other people uh, from the freedom that we've encountered. There's a great quote from uh, the leader of an organization that, that I'm a part of, that I'm a health coach for. Uh, your story could be the key that unlocks somebody else's prison. Dude, that is so powerful. Heck yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, first of all, yes, that is incredibly powerful. I, I want to come back to this voice, man, because I think that that may be the answer. I think that being real, I, I know that the more, the more we talk about, look, if we're, if we're afraid of that monster under the bed, hmm. the longer we stay in that bed, the bigger that monster gets. Sure. Oh, yeah. You know, you've got to like, I think the, the key is, is that you've got to slay the dragon early. You know, yeah. you've got to catch the cancer early. <laughs> you've got to address, you know, the monster under the bed as soon as possible. Because it's, it's in the absence of using that beautiful voice that we've been given um, to share and to talk about our story that that opposing force, whatever that is, grows in power, you know. Um, and it, it starts off, and I think this is really, really important too. It starts off in our lives where when we don't say no, when we know we should have said no, when we don't say yes, when we know we should have said yes, it could be in the smallest of circumstances with family, with friends, at our job. It doesn't matter. The moment we, we go down that road, we lose a little bit of our power and that opposing force gains in power. Hmm. And if we don't correct that, then what happens is, and I've said this before on the show, um, what happens is, is that we continually lose power and lose our voice. And when we don't have our voice, we, we run we run the danger of becoming an invisible person, a person that doesn't know who he is or she is anymore because we have been afraid to face that dragon and that monster under our bed and talk about this stuff. And the reality is, is that sometimes that's all we need to do yeah. is just talk about it. Do, do the hard thing. I think you nail it uh, absolutely um in that voice uh that voice is it, i believe it's such um as a creative anyway i feel like that voice is 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 sometimes necessary um you know because you need the resistance to know how strong you are you need the resist resistance to know how how to do hard things um and the great the great thing i love about this saying too is 
the harder that thing appears, that obstacle appears to be, and the more times you go at it, the easier it gets. Uh, a greatest analogy I could, well, a good analogy I can think of is uh, I, I'm a I love cycling, and so when you tackle that massive hill the first time, you think you're gonna die getting up that hill, you know. Uh, but the more <laughs> be you me. do it, I would be dying. <laughs> the more you do it. And the more times you're, you're putting in the reps and you're pedaling and you're finding your cadence and you're finding your groove and you're working your way up that hill. I mean, you know, and for me, like you ha I had to change the, the circumstances, you know, over the past year, um, my weight, my weight loss story is, you know, my weight has gone down significantly, you know, and so I have Correct. one specific hill in mind. Thank you. I have one specific hill in mind that I rode up in November of 2017, I thought I was going to pass out when I got to the top of that hill. And on Father's Day last year, I rode up that same hill and I was, I was sweating, but I wasn't dying. And uh, it was so much <laughs> easier, but I had to do it because I needed to prove to myself that that hill wasn't as hard anymore. And sometimes yeah. you need to go back into the ring and, and get hit a couple more times just to realize, you know, okay, I have some, something else to work on. Yeah. You know, it's, it's man, that's John, that's so key, man. You know, people ask, you know, we've, we've been talking now for a while. We've talked to a lot of different people, but like suffering is the, is the key to this. Yeah. You know, people say, why do we suffer? Why do we suffer? Why do we suffer? Why am I suffering? If people could just look at their suffering for just a moment and understand there is great power in that suffering, that sure. uncomfortability. Like, look, when we're, when we're young, we're taught to, you know, brush our teeth in the morning, brush our teeth at night. These are habits that we develop over time. Sure. But yeah. there are other very, very healthy emotional and mental habits that mm -hmm. have not been taught over time that yeah. we are now coming to and understand. Look, 30 years ago, uh, people weren't, uh, you know, going to meditate before work <laughs> or on their lunch right. break. You sure. know what I mean? But, yeah. you know, the world is changing and we're becoming more understanding of the reality of the importance of our emotional health. Mm -hmm. um, and the benefits of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, something I, I've, this last, uh, gosh, uh, the last month I've really been working on something very specifically, which is self love, you know, yeah. um, that was January, a hard one for me, dude, dude, it is, it is really tough. It is very tough. Um, especially when you're walking through, uh, you know, anxiety and you're believing those voices, you know, and you let them overtake you to a point, you know, and, and listen, you know, I, I had such high hopes for, for this year being a specific, you know, going a specific way and, you know, doing hard things, even, even harder things this year. And man, when you ask for something, you're, you're going to get it, you're going to be tested in it. And uh, yeah. for sure, you know, um, I think self-love is really hard um, simply because, you know, we're human, we're, we're, we're faltered, we're, we're, um, we're not perfect, you know, and I think the thing that I kept struggling with the most uh, coming back to it was just this feeling of, of inadequacy. Like I used to hide behind my, my weight, you know, I used to hide behind, that was my excuse, you know, for all of this stuff. Now that's gone, yeah. <laughs> you know, now what do I have to hide behind? Like when I feel vulnerable in a way that I don't want to put myself out there, you know, yeah. being vulnerable, uh, being living a life of vulnerability is different than just being vulnerable. Right. Absolutely.
So living a life that is completely vulnerable, you know, you're going to, you know, that, that looks so much different than saying, hey, I'm going to be vulnerable here and share something specific with you. But when your life is shaped in that way, I feel like you're almost even set up even more for attack potentially, um, you know, and you're almost inviting those things in at, at a greater rate of speed where it's like, oh my gosh, um, you know, so many things, so many, there's so much pressure, there's so much whatever is going on in life there's there's um yeah i i think uh for for me january was was the the season where it was time to catch my breath and and all this self doubt started to hit you know and yeah. i started to really internalize and i started to really step back and go oh my gosh like i feel so out of control you know, my feet are back into that emotional cement and I can't move forward. Uh, what do I do? Like, how do I get out of this? And, you know, it, it, it was giving that voice total domination of the narrative, you know, and it was not a comfortable season. And I would love to tell you that I am completely out of it now, but I'm not, you yeah. know. Um, and I think a lot of it might have to do with self-discipline and learning to just unplug. You know, I've definitely unplugged a lot in the last month and I feel like it's really gained me a lot of just headspace and, and a lot of um, a lot of time to breathe. I wish I had more. <laughs> I wish I had more space to breathe, but I feel like I've gained a lot of that just by taking that step and saying, you know, I need to do this for me. I really do need to focus on self-care right now and, yeah. and self-love. Yeah. You know, man, I'll tell you what's been working for me is just reminding myself every single day, telling myself every single day that I don't give a shit what anyone thinks. <laughs> that has been the key, man. I'm not, I'm not even playing, you know, just yep. not giving a shit about what other people think of me, you know, because as a creative, you know, we work so hard to create um, something of artistic value. And then we put that into the world and we hope that like a piece of our heart is there that touches <coughs> other people's hearts. And, right. and so I think I've struggled with that for a long time, you know, and I've made an active decision, at least through this I Choose series, to not give a shit what anyone thinks. Because yeah. you know what? Everyone's got their own life to live and I've got mine. And the only person I can compare myself to is, is Michael Campo of yesterday. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. You know? Yeah. Jen says, yes, the argument of if God were real, um, if God were real, there'd be no suffering frustrates me. If there's no suffering, how would we even recognize? How would we overcome and then empower others with our story? It's sad, but it's a necessary part of life. We agree. I agree with you, Jen. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, I have to say, John, we are, we're coming to the end here. Is there anything specifically that you really wanted to, to say um, via this, you know, this conversation. Uh, I know that you've, you talked about the sexual abuse. You talked about, you know, the weight loss transformation, which huge, man. Um, talk about, you know, doing hard things, uh, still being in it, living in a state of vulnerability. Uh, I mean, I think that these things that we're talking about here is very, they're very, very valuable for anyone and everyone, no matter where they come from or what they're going through. 
Is there anything specific that you just wanted to put out there? Yeah, I think I, I really want people to understand that your story uh, isn't always about you. You know, uh, there's there's a great lie in, in thinking that um, this is my story. I have to tell my story because it's all about me. Um, I learned a valuable lesson, especially, and I think kids really helps with this uh, lesson as well, that your story needs to be helping other people and, and helping mm. those people navigate. Uh, again, you know, you're a possessor of knowledge. You know, you're inclined to give that away. Um, my wife and I, so we've, we've used my story to, you know, I should say our stories to formulate what our family looks like. You know, my daughters are well, well aware that there is never a topic that's off the table. Like we can talk about anything. We will be a vulnerable family. Um, my children, when they were six years old, they were told that daddy had something happen to him. And we were very open about it because this is just unfortunately the world we live in, you know, and not everybody has everyone else's best interests in mind and they need to understand what's okay and what's not, you know? Um, and again, if, if, uh, I do my uh, I do have friends that you know that their their parents never talked to them about anything you know my mom was always extremely open about everything even as awkward as it could be at times you know uh, I am so grateful and so blessed that she just didn't care you know and she just didn't care what anybody thought but she would tell me the truth you know and the truth even though it can hurt at times it, it could potentially save somebody's life, you know, and for, for my wife and I, like we, we have made that, that staple that there's never a topic that's off limits. It gets a little uncomfortable sometimes when your kids are asking you, what does this word mean? You're like, Oh Lord, what do we say? Um, but we just, we're just honest with them. You know, uh, Kids say the darndest things. And uh, in our house, it's equally true. <laughs> Well, John, I, I gotta, I gotta thank you, man, so much just for, for being vulnerable and, you know, and living, you know, living your, walking your path, you know, walking your path and sharing your story with other people. Yeah. I definitely believe that, you know, our stories um, can, you know, unlock, what did you say? Unlock another person's prison? Yeah. Our story might be the key that unlocks somebody else's prison. Yeah, I love that, man. I think that's super, super important. And uh, I'm really, really grateful that we had an opportunity to have this conversation. I think that, you know, the stuff we spoke about tonight and, and what you shared, I think is going to be very, very vulnerable for people out there who are suffering. And you know me, man, I'm going to cut this up into a couple of pieces and blast it out all over the internet because, yeah. dude, there's value here, man. Super valuable. So I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you for your honesty, your vulnerability and doing the hard thing. Well, thank you so much. You're, you're doing equally hard things, dude. You're, you're totally a collector of these stories. And, uh, and I love all of the, the variety of stories that you have that you've collected so far. And uh, it's just been encouraging. Um, it's so funny when you, when you hear somebody else's story, um, it's, it's just amazing that you can totally identify with them in ways you never thought you'd be able to, you know, connect on a level. You're like, wow, like everybody has a story. I know. How come we, if we could only take the time to listen, and I think yeah. you've given a great play, a great and safe space for, for people to do that. So yeah. I thank you. Well, thank you, man. That means a lot to me. We're trying hard. We're working, 
we're working it, man. That's that's the goal, you know. Like you had mentioned when you were younger about having that place where you had a group of guys come together and talk and support each other. That's that's the vision for what like our I choose Facebook and I choose Instagram can be, you know. It can be that place where you know, you're on your phone, you're scrolling through your Facebook feed. I want I want something positive to pop up and everyone who's following the I choose series, I want something positive to 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 pull, post up or to be scrolled up every time they're going through their social networks and see something that, that inspires them to be who they're supposed to be. I love it. I love it. It's so, so powerful. And it's so necessary yeah. in this day and age too. You just never know what somebody's wrestling with. You know, we, we get so angry when somebody cuts us off in traffic. You have no idea what that person's going through. And I think when you can live empathetically towards others, you know, and just put yourself in their shoes, even for a moment, you know, or you hear a story that you're like, I totally connected with that. Yeah, it's powerful. It's so powerful. Yeah. And it lets you know that you're not alone. <laughs> like Absolutely, that, man. That that is there's so much power in that. Knowing that, oh my gosh, I'm not the only person that deals with this. Like there is so much power in that. Yeah. Well, man, let's slay that slay the monster under the bed, you know? You gotta let's face it. it. So all right. Thanks so much, John. It was a pleasure, man. I'm really grateful. Would you come on again sometime? I would love to. All right, great, man. Well, thank you so much. We'll catch you, um, catch you on the rebroadcast. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon, man. Thanks.